1160 The Quest welcomes you to Legislation Made Simple. Keeping you informed on political issues, primarily legislative issues in the Georgia General Assembly, but also some national issues that implicate the teachings of the church. Issues that are critical to restoring and protecting a culture that enables families to flourish and the kingdom of God to advance. Legislation Made Simple will also let you know how to get involved, how to get to know your state representatives and senators, and most importantly, how you can affect policy. Your hosts are Patty DeCraney and Jane Robbins. Jane is a retired lawyer, formerly with a D.C.-based organization called American Principles Project. Jane worked at the Georgia legislature and has maintained her connections there, so she's plugged in under the Gold Dome. Now let's begin Legislation Made Simple. Hello and welcome to Legislation Made Simple. My name is Patty DeCraney and my co-host is Jane Robbins. Hi Jane. Hi Patty. If you heard our, our show last week, you certainly learned a lot from parent activist Mary Clausen. Mary, a parishioner at Holy Spirit Catholic Church, works with Protect Student Health Georgia to lobby against unhealthy and even dangerous policies that are being introduced in many K-12 schools here in Georgia. Last week, she told us about so-called comprehensive sex education, obscenity in school libraries, and much more. Today, we're going to continue the discussion with Mary. Thank you so much for coming, Mary, because unfortunately, the threats are multiplying, and truly, knowledge is power. Good afternoon, Mary. Good afternoon. Glad to be here. Thank you again for agreeing to do two shows on the recent bills that have been dropped, and just thank you for being here, enlightening us. You're very welcome. Let's begin with invoking the Holy Spirit and reading Holy Scripture. Together, let's pray. Come, Come Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. And today's Scripture, Luke 17, Verses 1 and 2. He said to his disciples, Things that cause sin will inevitably occur, but woe to the person through whom they occur. It would be better for him if a millstone were put around his neck and he be thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. When I was in Israel several years ago, I saw a millstone. And I was told it weighed between 2,000 and 2,800 pounds. That's pretty serious stuff. <laughs> I think there needs to be more millstones around here. <laughs> Jane, would you kick us off today with our discussion? Yes, I'll be happy to. Um, Mary, welcome back. Let's go to a topic that I know that you and your colleagues are concerned about, which is school-based clinics. And I don't think parents are really aware of what's going on with that um, with that issue. Tell us what's happening in that arena and what are the potential problems with school clinics? Well, the school-based clinics have been kind of seeping into um, United States all over. Every state probably has them at this point. Um, and they were, they're proposed as there's people out in rural areas that don't have any health care very close. If a mom has to drive an hour to the closest doctor, the kid's going to miss school. So we need to have these clinics to um, treat the kids next mm -hmm. to the school or in the school. They're usually on school property, but sometimes they're actually within the doors of the school. Um, and although it sounds wonderful, we always want, you know, 
especially poor children that don't have access to health care to get the health care that they need. Um, it seems to us that it's probably um, being done for a different reason, more for taking the parental involvement um, to the side in the schools, basically kind of raising the children and doing all the things that normally mom or dad would come pick the kid up and take him to the doctor and be there, hear what the doctor has to say, be there to consent and get all the details and decide if this is really even a good fit for them as far as the provider and what they're getting. Um, so um, recently, um, Governor Kemp authorized $125 million to go for, I want to say, is it 100 schools in Georgia or 50? I see there 50 or 100 um, new clinics at school-based um, oh, no. here in Georgia. So that announcement kind of made my, our colleagues and, and us kind of start talking about what to do about that and looked into it. And um, there's, most school systems have a couple. The ones that we've seen here in Fulton County, I mean, you don't have to drive an hour to see a doctor. You can drive a mile to see a doctor usually. And so they're they're um, talking about the type of families that live in the area may not be able to get there. And so they're talking about doing, you know, dental work and screenings for hearing and vision. And if the kid's got an ear infection, a nurse practitioner can see them or a PA and, and get that treated real quick. Um, one of the reasons I saw on just the legislature and why they were getting it approved was you know, kids' absences, it prevents absences. Well, if a kid's so sick they have to go to a doctor for an ear infection, they shouldn't be in school that day. They talk about, they usually have behavioral health um, and these other um, areas that I just told you about. Um, last year when House Bill 1013 passed, which has um, mental health, um, millions of dollars for mental health here in Georgia to help improve mental health of both adults and children, um, are just kind of the vision that we can see is there's going to be a lots of um, mental health care possibly happening at these clinics or tele telemedicine um, counseling happening. And again, the parents aren't there to see what's going on. Um, so it's very concerning for possibly treating sexually transmitted diseases. They might not be treating it, but they may refer the child there. If the child just goes from school to this clinic, you don't know what, what's happening if the parents aren't involved. So in, in general, we don't think they're a good idea. And we, we would hope that the schools would not have them and that, um, you know, the communities would build health centers out in the community where the people can get the health care that they need, both adults and children. So. I grew up in a very rural area, and I never went to a school that had a school clinic until, well, I guess I was in college, and I wasn't quite sure where that was located, so I went four years there without ever going. But anyway, um, but I'm, I'm thinking that the school clinic issue is part of a broader uh, phenomenon that we see going on with schools, which is the the triumph of therapeutic education in, in which children are treated more like patients than they are like students. What are your thoughts on that idea? Um, I, I think you're spot on. Um, it's They're trying to take care of every problem that the child has and fearful that there will be problems diagnosed that may not be necessary. Um, so maybe a teacher's worried a kid's not paying attention. And next thing you know, oh, at least they've got the referral already signed at the beginning of the year for, for this kid to go to the clinic, go over there. Um, could they diagnose them with depression and start on antidepressants before the mommy has a chance to figure out what's going on? So um, it is um, fearful that things will be happening that aren't, um, and the parent will feel like it's, you know, 
the gospel truth and follow the direction when maybe the, the school or the clinic might have different ideas about uh, medicating children or giving them diagnoses that they may not necessarily even have, or uh, it may just be a short-term thing and maybe they'll keep them on a medicine for a long time. We, we don't know how, how fo the follow-up is going to be like at these clinics as well. An another pending bill, HB 141, would require schools to perform suicide screenings on all students beginning at age eight in third grade. Is this an example, Mary, of what you're kind of referring to? Yes, yes. Um, we've had um, suicide education at one of the schools my kids were at, and all the kids kind of terrify them. They're, what they're doing is having the kids be um, caretakers of the other children. Um, kind of diverting from your question here, but 141 would be every child would get a screening. And so, I mean, kids have good days and bad days, and kids sometimes don't even do things honestly. And to have them do those screen screenings at school without their parent there to kind of say, um, I remember one of the doctors that my kids went to, there was a screening like that. And, you know, they're like, what's, mom, what's this, what's this mean? You know, I had to kind of ha help them with the questionnaire because you could tell one of them is like, oh, yeah, I did cry last week. You check, yes, I cry, you know. And it, it's very, um, the parent has to be there involved with their child, even if it's an adolescent, because, Adolescents can be very emotional and stuff, but, um, you know, that's their decision to make on how to treat their child. And if the child gets labeled with something like that, it's going to be in their chart and it's going to follow them through their whole um, college or in high school or undergraduate degree. And that may not be an issue. It may just be grandpa died last week and I'm really sad today. So um, hopefully the, there's good professionals doing these screenings and evaluating patients. But the data that gets downloaded on these kids and gets followed for years, we're very worried about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the other thing about doing screenings of kids, especially as young as, as eight, is that they suggest to the child that he should be thinking about this, that this is something that eight-year-olds, obviously some eight-year-olds are dealing with this because otherwise, why would they be making him answer all these questions? So it's it makes him think about something that he never thought about before, that never would have come into his mind. And the prospect of suggesting to any student, but especially a young child, that suicide is even an option to people his age is horrific. Mm -hmm. Suicide should not be a thing in third grade. Right. And this, this rush to medicalize childhood is typical of government behavior. They create the problem by driving dads out of families and God out of schools and God out of culture, and then they shut down schools and ruin young lives, and then they say, oops, everybody has mental health problems, so now the government has to step in and fix the problem it created. The government should be strengthening families and, and faith to attack the source of the problem. And one thing I wanted to mention was that some years ago, several years ago in a previous life, I co-authored a report with a, a friend of mine who was sadly no longer with us, but she was a, a pediatrician in Florida, and we did a report about social-emotional learning, um, which is all if, all wrapped up in, in all of this and the mental health, and, and we won't, we could do a whole, whole show on SEL, as it's called, but there's a report that we will link to on our website for that because it gives a lot of information about the history of it, what does it mean, what are they really doing to our kids when they're talking about something that, as always, sounds good. Oh, we're going to help your child with a social and emotional adjustment and operation, and, and when really what they're doing is turning your child into a patient and they're doing things to him that you would not want done, certainly uh, not without your consent. 
so um, what about student surveys? It seems like kids are taking more and more student surveys, and um, especially prominent in this area that I know about is the Georgia Student Health Survey, which is given every spring, and it asks kids about their drug and alcohol use and home environment, and, and actually I wrote an article for the AJC warning parents to not let their kids take that survey. But what are your thoughts about these student surveys, and what should parents be aware of? The, I agree with what you said, Jane. The surveys are, are very scary, and they do plant seeds in, in the students' minds. Um, the, also, they also the Georgia, I believe, Student Health Survey also talks about sexual activity, and it. it, now, it used to not. I think they. It, it may now. At okay. the time I was writing about it, I looked and I compared mm. it to the general CDC survey, and it didn't have the sex questions. Okay. But it may now. You, you, one of the ones my kids were going to take, I looked at it and it did have that, but I, I don't did. remember okay. that. I don't remember the exact name of it, so it may not be that same okay. one. Okay. Well, that's but good to know. But it was, it was like, how many sexual partners have you had? You know, and it was like oh, no. zero to one. Yeah, and even two if it's to zero, three, if four the, to five, and it's like they're in seventh grade. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So even um, even if they say, well, you could you could answer answer zero, but you're suggesting to the child that kids his age could have five. Exactly, and that's okay. Yeah. No, no right. judgment here. No right, judgment right. here. That's the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we all, and and just getting back to just the whole sexual education of the students. Even if a child has had sex before, they can always choose then not to have sex in the future. And we teach them the healthy things, and they go on a, a better a better path for themselves. So, yeah, we've got to um, protect these kids from being exposed to these horrendous things that they ne- do not necessarily need to be exposed to. Um, the social emotional learning. There's tons of surveys in there, and and they're following students and their data collecting on those questions. So we don't know. There's probably I don't know twenty or thirty different types of SEL programs. So I don't know what all the the, the surveys are that they have them ask questions. But they're you know if they get answer a certain question, they get put on some track, and then the teachers um, follow up with them, and um, they know kind of how to gear what the kids needs based on their 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 reports, and it's. Um, a lot of information happening to the children that you don't know what they what are they exposed to. If they say I'm scared of something, then maybe does the teacher give them some form about that and teach them about something that maybe the parents don't want them to know about. So um, I would um, definitely encourage you to opt out of most surveys. Um, oftentimes they're opt out, not opt in. So there a form will get sent home, but it'll be at the bottom of the backpack. You wouldn't even see it. Um, and a lot of times kids don't give them to their parents because they don't. If the parents might want to opt them out. They may want to look different and not be taking it. So sometimes they'll kind of hide things. So um, parents have to kind of be really aware of all those things that are happening. And um, my general view is that parents should opt their kids out of everything. If you have the option, get out. Because if they're having to ask you about it, it's probably not for your child. Love that. That's just a rule of thumb. That's great. And on our our website and other um, groups' websites, we do have opt-out forms that you can give it to the school at the beginning of the year and says, I don't want my kid to be exposed to any of these things. And one of them is the surveys. We'll link Um, to that on on the website. And and do the schools give that to the kids? Um, You're saying you give it to the schools to give to the kids. I'm sorry, the, the laptop forms, the parents sign, they make, they sign several copies, give one to the principal, give one to the teacher, oh, okay. give one to the counselor, whoever you think needs to know. My kid okay. is not going to be educated okay. on these things or not going to be involved. So um, so you're giving them to yeah. the parents? Correct. Okay. The for the parents forms. to fill out and yeah. give yes. to the schools. Yeah. Okay. Now we've had several school districts that are, uh, some of our parents have used them and they say, oh, we can't do that because this is it. Uh, these SEL programs and all the stuff is in all of our, every 
you know, it's in math, it's in science, it's in history. So, oh boy, yeah, it's all. Um, so, hopefully, at some point, the, the lawyers will kind of tease that out and figure out a way to protect the kids from that. But it's it's very ingrained in what they're doing. Is this kind of what? You're, is it a wraparound service? I've heard that term before. What what does that mean? Is that kind of what you're talking about? The wraparound services are basically the student can get whatever they need at the school. And so the wow. the school, um, they they get all the multidisciplinary things that the, that the student needs. So um, counseling or if they have a physical problem and they need, you know, some kind of special education on diabetes care. They, the whole idea is we, we give the kid what they need. But the problem is the parents not devising that wraparound care. The parents mm-hmm. not developing that treatment plan with their provider mm-hmm. that they know. There's other people are looking at the child saying they need this, they need this, they oh. need that, oh. and you know, sometimes they're probably very good resources that they connect them with. But oftentimes they're maybe not um, doing what's best. What the, the parent knows what's best is what the bottom line is, and the parent needs to know what's going on. And what they're trying to do is get the parent away from the child and they'll take care of the child while you're not with them and they're trying to have the kid at school longer and longer they get there early they stay late there's after school programs there's you know my my friend in florida that i mentioned who was the pediatrician referred to wraparound services as parent replacement services Mm. the idea really is to separate the child because the experts know better than mom and dad know so that's the goal. We can we can take care of this child, even though we don't actually love him the way mom and dad do, but we know what's better because we've been to school. And I think they really do. They really think they know mm. more. Um, I've had that just for little things with my my kids. It's like they don't mm. they don't live with them. They're not. They haven't raised them. So and so when you address these things with these people that have done that with your kids, what do they say? They um, they just kind of blow you off. They don't take you seriously. Mm. They think they know more okay. than you do. So, um, and counselors too. I think there's lots of great counselors. There's wonderful counselors, but a lot of them do not have our worldview. And it's what makes you happy and separate from your family. And it's not about family unity and cohesiveness right. and stuff. Um, and it's very. Um, we need, one thing good about 1013, there's a lot of funding and stuff for mental health care providers. They're going to have some um, basically take care of um, people's education if they agree to go into these underserved populations. Um, and so I hope a lot of our good Catholic, strong family members um, and get students to go and learn how to do the counseling because right now I think we're outnumbered. I don't think we have a lot of the counselors out there that are primarily that have the same worldview that we do. What do you mean 1013? That's the mental health bill that um, was passed last year to um, improve services of mental health in Georgia. And so it's it's kind of, I'm have a, it's like a 70 page bill, so I've not read it all, but it's kind of like socialized medicine for mental health care in Georgia. And they're basically trying to get all those people that don't have the care they need connected, which there are some that need that. That's good, but it's a lot of money and it may be used in an appropriate way. So we have to kind of keep an eye on that. There could be a collection of data. Oh, there's always collection of data. Well, that, that in in that bill that passed, there's um, data collection with multi-agencies with children, with adolescents and kids, mm-hmm. with the schools, with the Department of Health, mm-hmm. with the, uh, there's all these behavioral health um, 
departments in Georgia, and they're all going to work together with the same database. Okay. So again, a child has one little problem when they're fifth right. grade, that's going to go with them their whole time, and oh who knows what's going to And not only their up. whole time in school, but into the workforce, because the, the goal of the data geeks is that you have dossiers on people that will follow them throughout their lives. And I know about this, too, because in my previous life, I did a lot of work on, on student data and what they're doing with it. And um, it, the, the idea is that it, it goes with you forever. So it could affect your future employment. It could infect, mm-hmm. um, affect your military service, whatever. If you get a diagnosis of some kind, even if the person who gave you that diagnosis is completely untrained and incapable of giving you that, then that diagnosis can stick with you into adulthood. We have talked about several bills that have just recently been dropped. Um, can you just summarize what we what we talked about last week and what we've talked about this week? And then I'd like to know if there's any good bills that that we can get behind instead of fight that um, that we can maybe talk about. Well, last week, Mary talked with us about the comprehensive sex education and about um, the obscenity in schools and mm-hmm. the the general mindset that seems to be present more and more in, in public education and, sadly, in some private education. And so we've talked about people with the mindset that they are the experts and they know better than the parents trying to, to play that out on, on kids. The parents need to be very aware of that. But Mary, we know of one bill that you brought our attention to last week. It's SB 88, I think, which was just dropped, and I haven't even had the chance to do anything other than scan it. But tell us what you know about that bill. Um, It's called the Parent and Child Protection Act, and it's supposed to be protecting children's privacy um, in things that the kids get exposed to of of a sensitive nature. So supposedly, if there's any explicit sexual material, information of a sexual nature, sexual orientation, um, that they the parents have to be given the option to know, know get this information, know what it is. And, and um, it doesn't say consent in there that I know of, but I've not read the details. But basically, parents are going to be given notice and hopefully be able to opt their kid out of any kind of talking about sensitive information. And I think one thing about this bill is that it... it targets the problem that we've seen in other places where schools, not necessarily in Georgia, at least I haven't heard of it, um, where schools are helping a child who is suffering from gender dysphoria or maybe has has, um, succumbed to the social um, uh, madness of, yeah, the social (laughs) pressure to become trans. And schools would help that child do that without consulting the parents. And I think this bill would prevent schools or anybody else in who in the government to from dealing with a child doing that sort of thing with a child without the parents notification and consent and cutting parents out of the loop. So this this bill is promising and as I say I haven't read it carefully but it was dropped last week and and I think it's something to keep an eye on. Well, we wanted to to talk about practical suggestions for yes, parents. For the parents what we can do. It's I could talk for 3 hours about that. Mm-hmm. Um for the school-based health clinics, um, what I would encourage is that 
parents are probably going to be given forms to sign at the beginning of the year with tons of forms. Don't sign the consent form for the student-based health clinic. If there's a point that you need your child to go see somebody, you can always do it later on for one visit for some reason. But um, the one that I saw just in the Fulton County Schools, I consent to healthcare professionals performing medical treatments and procedures as they deem necessary and exercise of their professional judgment, including those procedures that may be unforeseen or not known to be needed at the time this consent is obtained. So that means whatever the clinic wants to do, they can do. And so like don't, don't, don't sign anything like that. Um, and then if we don't send our kids there, then they're going to close down. They're not going to make money because they're, they're private um, companies that are running these clinics. And so they, they're not going to stay if they don't make money. So um, everybody get educated at some level and get involved at some level. Parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, whoever has time. Um We'll go on our website, protectstudenthealthgeorgia.com. Um, we'll, we'll post that website. There's a lot of different groups out there, parent rental groups. Find one that you like and get involved with it. Um, we do in-services to help people find the obscene materials in the schools. Um, try to review all the materials your child has if you can. Um, it's complicated because some of the supplemental materials that teachers put out, they're not in the regular curriculum, so they don't fall under the guidance of a parent's able to see everything their children's going to see. It's only the approved books for like, you know, math and English and history and stuff. So um, ask for your kids to bring home things, make copies of stuff and keep an eye on that. Um, ask the kids what they're doing in class. I thank goodness my daughter told me a lot of information, but some kids don't talk. So try to get information from your kids about what they're doing. Um, they try to sneak education into things like there was a transgender article that my kid read in seventh grade in the public middle school. And they said it wasn't about transgenderism, but it was, it was, they're mm -hmm. talking about empathy playing a video game that was about a woman that was um, transferring, doing the transgender care. Mm -hmm. So it's just, they, they sneak it in there. So try to get copies of whatever they, they have. Um, pray obviously and ask God what you're called to do. Some people are too busy, especially those with young kids, you're just panicked and stuff. So just, you know, try to get a couple people together and you look at this book, I'll look at that book. We'll, we'll do research, you know, tag team and, and try to um, share information with all the other parents and the, the students and the teachers. Find the teachers that are really like-minded because they don't like this stuff either. They, they want to help you. And so the more teachers we can get and help them to give them the strength because they're afraid that they're going to, um, you know, have um, basically lose their jobs if they step up and say, I'm not going to like the, the transgender article that my English, te the English teacher gave the kid, she didn't pick it out. And she was like, I'm sorry, I should, you know, I didn't, I shouldn't have given him that, that somebody else told her to give it to him. So, and what about filing complaints on the obscenity? Yes, there are, um, we need people to appeal the obscenity um, books and databases that are out there. Um, there's a law that says there's an appeal process that you go through, but a lot of parents don't want to do the, do the appeals, but we need to do that so that once we realize that's not enough, we can go back and try to get the obscenity exemption removed in Georgia. So, but we need that data. So um, tell me where your kid goes to school. I'll research it. I'll let you know what the books are. You can let me know if you want to oppose one of the books that's in the library. I'll tell you what to write. You know, we, we've got people that have done all the hard work. We just need you to get there, make the appeals and see if it works or not. If a school works, great. We'll hold them up as a star school. We'll say this school did this and got these eight books out. The other schools that don't get the books out, we have that data to go to the legislature to say, um, the, the law's not enough. We need more. Mary, this has been so educational, and we could talk about this forever. Um, but I urge people to check our show notes on the Quest website because we will we'll post a lot of the things that you said. 
Um, so thank you so much for what you're doing from thank the you, bottom of our hearts. We thank you for that. You're very welcome. Thank you for letting me be here and share the information. Okay. And thank you for what you guys do. This right. is an awesome show. So let's, um, let's close with prayer. Our Father, thank you for Mary. Thank you for all of the, the parents and grandparents out there who are doing their best to protect our students, our children, our most precious, precious resource. Dear Lord, please help strengthen them. And, and please be with all the legislators and all decision makers who will be in contact with them that their hearts would be moved to do the right thing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been Legislation Made Simple, keeping you informed on political issues with your hosts, Patty DeCraney and Jane Robbins. Listen again next week at the same time for Legislation Made Simple on AM 1160, The Quest. <laughs>